0: Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast. This is your host, Robert Silver. Today's podcast will be a three part podcast. Normally, it's two parts, but a shout out to my friend on Twitter, Will Davis. He requested that I talk about Tyson Fury's standing. Amongst the all-time great heavyweights. And that will be part two. Part one will be. We will be recapping. The Saturday. 94,000. Attended fight in Wembley Stadium. In London, England. Tyson Fury. Defending his heavyweight championship of the world. Against Dillian White. Part two will be uh, Fury's historical standing. In heavyweight history. And part three. I will be taking a look at. Well, the article I wrote on Wilfred Benitez a year ago, uh, as loyal listeners and uh, of the Fight Game Media podcast and loyal readers of the Fight Game Media website, you guys know that for the last, uh, I believe, yeah, but for the last year now. I've been writing a series of articles on the 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years which covers the time period 1977 to 2021. Anything that happens this year has no bearing on what I what I'm writing for or what I've written so far for this listing for these rankings for this historical look at that era, 1977 to 2021. Uh right now as we speak, By the time you listen to this podcast, my number 15 fighter of the last 45 years, Michael Spinks, should have been published already on the Fight Game Media website. Today, we will be looking at the 43rd greatest fighter of all time on my list, and that is the Puerto Rican legend, Wilfred Benitez. Now on to Saturday's massacre at Wembley, the London Massacre. In my now 46 years of following boxing, watching boxing, reading about boxing, eating boxing, living boxing, sleeping boxing, Dillian White is one of the top five most overrated heavyweights in that era. And when I'm talking about most overrated heavyweights, I'm talking Michael Grant, I'm talking Jerry Cooney, and now we can add Dillian White to that list. Dillian White has never beaten an elite fighter. Every time he has stepped up, he's been put to sleep. And the tradition continued Saturday night. Uh, for the first three rounds, Tyson Fury toyed with Dillian White. He did whatever. Dillian White, A, has no chin. B, he's past his prime. And even in his prime, he was chinny. Amen. I he got put to sleep by Anthony Joshua by what? An uppercut. And um he had two wars with derek Jesora, a middle of the road journeyman derek Jesora has never beaten anybody worth their worth their skin and gold and yet he keeps fighting guys over and over again i mean he recently got a couple of fights with joseph parker derek Chisora is a joke and um dillian white i'm not going to call dillian white a joke he's been a solid fighter but he's highly overrated highly overrated. And how the hell has he has been, as he has been for the last five years, the predominant number one contender in the WBC rankings? He's not that good. No. I mean, he's solid. I don't consider him a dangerous fighter, as Joshua proved, as Alexander Povetkin proved in their first fight. Oh, yeah, White beat Povetkin in his second fight, but Povetkin over the age of 40. Just came off a torrid battle with COVID nineteen. He was a sitting duck for Dillian White, who in the first fight was put to sleep by Pavekin by what an uppercut. All right, back to uh, Saturday, Wembley Stadium. First three rounds, Fury is toying with Dillian White, Timothy Bradley and Joe Testator. This is where I missed Andre Ward because Testator, Testator and Bradley were fucking horrible. First of all. Timothy Bradley called Fury's trainer, Tyson, um, Sugar Hill. He called him Sugar Ray. No, Timothy Bradley, his fucking name is Sugar Hill, not Sugar Ray. And Fury, while dominating, wasn't putting on the same type of performance he put on against Wilder. He was biding his time. He was toying with White. But to hear Tessator and Bradley, you were thinking you were seeing a combination of Muhammad Ali and Joe Lewis. Oh, Tyson. And Tessitore. No wonder they fired you off the Monday Night Football broadcast. Tessator makes Kevin Harlan sound laid back. You know. I used to criticize Kevin Harlan when he first started doing NBA games over 20, man, 25 years ago because everything was like, oh, it's all about the Benjamins, baby! (laughs) Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway. Harlan eventually toned that down and has become a great announcer. Joe Tessitore has never been able to, to tone it down. Everything is the utmost excitement. Like in Monday Night Football, oh, it's a first down by Brady! In the first quarter, man, shut up! It was hyperbole and overkill by both Bradley and Tessitore. One thing I love about Andre Ward, he brings a calm influence to the broadcast, he's concise with his commentary, and he doesn't overstate things. Timothy Bradley is a joke. And... He's a puppet for top-ranking Bob Aram. Just plain pathetic announcement by them, to, For those who haven't seen the fight, when you do watch the fight, mute, mute it. Because Bradley and Tessator bring nothing to the table as far as knowledge for you boxing fans. No, no insight. Just, oh, Tyson Fury! Fury! and shut the hell up. All right, back to the fight. The fourth round, Fury began landing his right cross at Will. And yes ladies and gentlemen, Tyson Fury straight right hand is a right cross, not a right hook. I'm sick and tired of these announcers. Now, I didn't hear it in this fight. Testator was smart. He just called it, "Oh, right hand by Fury, right hand by Fury." He never called it a right cross, but uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is a right cross, not a right hook, all right? When a, when a when a traditional orthodox fighter is leading with his left jab, his left hand. When he comes across with a right hand, it's a right cross. Basic boxing. Right? Not a right hook. All right? Okay? Todd Grisham, Mauro Ronaldo, you goofs. All right. I digress. Back to the fight. Fifth round, Fury landed more of his right, right crosses, and he was beginning to land his left hooks. And in the sixth round, he landed a picture-perfect uppercut. Oh, wow. What knocked out Dillian White? A right uppercut. Third time in his career, he's been put to sleep by an uppercut. He got up at the count of nine and a half. Referee Mark Lissom made the right choice because Dillian White fell into his arms, stopped the fight. Tyson Fury with an easy fight, barely broke a sweat. Easy victory to continue as D. Heavyweight champion of the world. I don't give a damn what the WBA, WBC, WBO, IBF, ABC, CBS, ESPN, XYZ, NBC say. I don't give a goddamn what those section of bodies say. Tyson Fury is the heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, he claimed at the press conference that he's retiring um, and seeking a fight with Francis Ngannou. Hey, look, I while I hate the circus atmosphere, I'm not gonna um I'm not gonna begrudge Fury for wanting a fight with Engano because that's easy money. It's gonna be a boxing match and Fury's gonna get paid out his ass. Um, I mean they're gonna pay him big money to obliterate Engano. Engano has no shot in a boxing match. None of he listen, and by the way, we're on you're listening on Fight Game Media, which has incredible coverage on UFC for those that are really interested in complete coverage of pro wrestling And mixed martial arts Including UFC I would advise you guys To go to the com website Check on the Patreon page And you have exclusive coverage Of every single organization in the world Plus a monthly boxing special podcast That I'm doing On the greatest upsets in boxing history Recently I covered the January 29th, 1994 fight between Frankie Randall and Julio Cesar Chavez. The fight that finally ended Julio Cesar Chavez's 90 fight on Beaten Street, despite the fact that he got away with a couple of robberies before that fight. But if you guys want to hear more about that, more about AEW, WWE, New Japan, All Japan, etc., and UFC and Bellator, yeah, they, they even have coverage on impact formerly known as TNA go to the fight game media website check on the patreon page for five dollars a month you get the best coverage of mixed martial arts and pro wrestling on the planet and you get a special bonus of listening to my crazy ass talk about the greatest subsets in boxing history there has been three episodes so far I've done. Uh, the first two with Carlos Toro, my former co-host. Uh, the first, the first one we did was the incredible upset. And man, I, I've got a brain fart because I, I forgot what I've done so far. Early signs of dementia, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I know we did one on Roberto Duran versus Esteban De Jesus from November 1972. Oh, and from October of, of 1986, Lloyd Honeykins. Incredible upset over Donald Curry Who at that point in time Was considered the best fighter in the world So there you go Those two uh, Those two plus the Chavez Randall first fight Those three episodes Are on the Patreon page exclusively You won't find it on, on the free feed here Now On to my buddy Will Davis's question About Tyson Fury standing All time heavyweights Now before I do that, I'm gonna go from 10 to 1, my all-time greatest heavyweights. And I'll give an explanation as to each ranking. Number 10, Jack Dempsey. Jack Dempsey was an incredible fighter. There's uh s- several fights of his on YouTube if you guys want to check out his style. Uh Mike Tyson uh has always mentioned how Dempsey was the prototype for his style. Him and Customato study Jack Dempsey's style. And if you looked at Mike Tyson with with the with the with the fade and and no robe coming in the ring and the aggressive style, going to the body, bobbing and weaving. He got all that from looking at Jack Dempsey. He was a huge fan of Jack Dempsey. Dempsey's my number ten. Um reason why he's not higher. A, when he was champion of the world for uh and I believe he was heavyweight champion of the world for about eight years, nineteen nineteen and nineteen twenty-six or twenty-seven. I forget, and I'm I'll be fifty-four in two weeks, and I've got early signs of dementia. <laughs> I don't think I do. I, I do you always use that as a joke. But anyway, back to Jack Dempsey. He rarely defended his title in those seven, eight years. And he never once fought the best Black fighters on the planet Now I give him credit He did try to secure a fight with Harry Wills But it never came to fruition He didn't fight the best black fighters of the world at that time More on that later as far as why black fighters were blackballed And he rarely defended the title So that that being said His standing falls to number 10 Number 9 The man who Pattern his style after Jack Dempsey, Mike Mike Tyson, from 1986 to when the when he went to prison in 1992, Mike Tyson worldwide was on the level of Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson as far as popularity goes with athletes. Mike Tyson was an incredible pop culture f- pop culture figure, um, right there with Jordan and, and Magic at that point in time. From 1986 to 1990, he totally dominated the heavyweight division. I mean, he beat up f- fighter after fighter until Buster Douglas, in a way, exposed him, beat him badly, and knocked him out in the 10th round to become heavyweight champion of the world. I truly believe that at that point in time, Tyson, 23 years old, was never the same fighter after getting blasted and battered by... Uh, Buster Douglas. Uh Mike uh would come back and uh he can't go past nine because he never won a huge fight against a great fighter after after Buster beat him. He got obliterated twice by uh Evander Holyfield. He bit Holyfield's ear out of frustration. They say headbutts. I say he knew he couldn't beat Holyfield and he said, Look, I gotta save face, so he bit both of his ears. One completely off. One was dangling. <clears throat> un, un- real But Mike, in his prime, and more about Mike Tyson next week, as he'll be the subject of my top 45 fighters of all time. So I will talk more about Mike's career next week, but that's the reason I have Mike at number nine. Number eight, the man who beat Tyson twice. The real deal, Evander Holyfield. Uh, Holyfield, Undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world. He was the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world as he knocked out Buster Douglas after Douglas beat Tyson. Uh, he found a way to beat Riddick Bowe once in their three fights, which was well, were three incredible fights. the The second greatest trilogy in heavyweight history after the Ali-Frazier trilogy. And Holyfield fought everybody in the heavyweight. Era of the 90s, which is one of the greatest eras in boxing history. He beat Riddick Bowe once in their three fights. He fought Lennox Lewis twice, even though he was totally dominating both fights. First fight was outright robbery. The worst robbery I've ever seen in my life. They scored it a draw. Right? He beat Tyson twice. Uh he fought Michael Mora twice. He fought all the best heavyweights uh, he beat George Foreman. He beat all the best heavyweights of the 90s. So uh, he's my number eight. Number seven, smoking Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier only lost to two men in his career, Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. And he beat Muhammad Ali in the single most hyped uh, uh Famous fight in the history of boxing The March 8th, 1971 fight At Madison Square Garden Frazier knocks Ali down in the 15th round Wins the decision And right then and there, his legacy was secured He would, and also He was never the same after that fight So he's my number 7 My number 6 greatest heavyweight Of all time is George Foreman George Foreman Went 21 years Between heavyweight reigns Losing his title to Muhammad Ali in october of 1974 and then 21 years later in november of 1990 oh, no i'm sorry 20 years later not 21 years apart 20, 20 years apart almost 20 years to the day because it was october 30th 1974 that he lost his title to muhammad ali the rumble in the jungle in zaire and november 5th 1994 he knocked out Michael Mora to become the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Um, people say, oh, well, 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 Lennox Lewis was WBC champion. No, Lennox Lewis took his belt out of a garbage can. In my opinion, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world was Michael Mora, then George Foreman. Foreman beat the man who beat the man who beat the man who beat the man. I don't give a goddamn about sanctioning bodies. I look at who the actual champion is. I don't give a damn what the alphabet soup criminal cartel organizations look at. It's my eyes and my knowledge. all right so Foreman, my number six, um one of the greatest punches in, in boxing history, underrated left jab. and if you would have combined the the ring IQ of George Foreman in the 1990s to the all-right savage, brutal beast that Foreman was in the '70s who did everything off of natural punching power. You'd have, you would have had the greatest of, heavyweight of all time. Number five is Jack Johnson. Heavyweight champion of the world from 1908 to 1915. And the hell he had to overcome was ridiculous. The entire white power establishment of the United States went after him with full force. How he wasn't murdered during one of his fights is amazing they tried and eventually succeeded in imprisoning him for marrying white women called it a crime they even had an act uh named after him in order for him to go to prison and then he finally loses the title in 1915 in havana cuba to jess Willard, the man who would lose the title on a brutal one-sided beating the jack dempsey four years later Jack Johnson, number five. My number fourth greatest heavyweight of all time is the man who was the best heavyweight of the 1990s, Lennox Lewis. Um, I consider him the greatest British fighter of all time. Um, I consider him the greatest fighter of Jamaican heritage. Mike McCollum, the body snatcher, is what I consider, and there's no doubt in most people's minds, the greatest Jamaican-born Fighter of all time I have Lennox Lewis as the greatest Jamaican heritage fighter of all time As both his parents Were born and raised in Jamaica Uh, Lennox was an incredible Heavyweight, one of the greatest jabs In boxing history He threw combinations He had an incredible right hand And he's one of the few fighters In the history of the heavyweight division To have defeated every man He ever fought As he avenged two losses Both to Oliver McCall and Hoxine Rockman And he avenged a brutal draw in the worst robbery in boxing history Against Evander Holyfield to become undisputed heavyweight champion of the world Lennox Lewis is my number 4th greatest heavyweight of all time My number 3 is Larry Holmes Larry Holmes had undisputedly the greatest jab in the history of boxing That jab could win him fights when nothing else was working. Dominated the heavyweight division for seven years. Exposed the most overrated heavyweight in the history of boxing. Not named Rocky Marciano. And that was Jerry Cooney. With that battering hammer jab and finally stopping him in the 13th round of a one-sided fight. Even though... Two, uh two of the three judges had uh Jerry Cooney winning more rounds than Larry Holmes. God, are you goddamn serious? More on that later when I talk about Larry Holmes way down, probably a year from now. Cause Larry Holmes is, spoiler alert, in my top ten greatest fighters of the last forty-five years. It's not hard to fathom. Okay. Larry Holmes, my number three greatest heavyweight of all time. My number two is Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis Was the first black heavyweight in 22 years Since Jack Johnson was dethroned in Havana, Cuba To become heavyweight champion of the world When he obliterated James J. Braddock in 1937 Held the title for 12 years A record number of defenses for heavyweight That will never be broken 25 defenses And just An outright great fighter, great jab, incredible power. Uh, Joe Lewis, number two, all-time great heavyweight. Number one, without a doubt, Muhammad Ali. No other heavyweight beat the amount of fighters, amount of great fighters in the history of boxing that Muhammad Ali did. Sonny Liston, Joe Frazier, George Foreman. And by the way, Liston would be my number 11. And had Liston won one of those fights with Ali, he definitely could have been a contender for top five. But uh, Ali beat Liston, Foreman, Frazier, Ken Norton. I mean, the list is endless. The list of great fighters Muhammad Ali beat. No other heavyweight comes close to beating Lennox Lewis, maybe. Lennox Lewis, maybe. But uh, uh, Lennox Lewis... Lennox Lewis would be, would, be a, would, would be second as far as defeating great, great heavyweights. But Ali, incredible career. And like my father always told me, look, I wasn't born until 1968. My father saw Ali in his prime, and my father said that Ali was picture perfect. From 1964 to 1967, my father always said up until the time he died 22 years ago that he never saw another heavyweight that could have fucked with Ali during those years. Muhammad Ali. The greatest heavyweight of all time. Will, as far as where Tyson Fury would would uh stack up against these great heavyweights all time in terms of ranking, I would have it, it, Tyson Fury could battle for the twelfth spot. I've got Sonny Liston and eleven. And so then you have guys like uh the Klitschko brothers, Fury, uh Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, and I have to put Fury above those two guys, being that Fury's the best heavyweight of this era so far. This era is not over yet because I don't believe Fury's retiring. I believe he still have, he still may have fights with Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua in the future. Uh, Tyson Fury, excellent left jab, uh, ring general. He's his IQ is off the charts in in, in um in the ring. First Ballot Hall of Famer, he is. You You can make an argument for number 12. You want to slot him in number 12, I won't argue with you. The other 11, he still has some work to do to crack the top 10. If he ever fights Usyk and beats Usyk, then you can make an argument that he knocks Jack Dempsey out of the number 10 spot. And I won't argue with you, and we can revisit this list later on. Now, ladies and gentlemen, on to part three. Of the podcast And that's my uh, Reading of my number 43 Greatest fighter of the last 45 years And that's The Radar Wilfred Benitez According to my dearly departed father The most naturally gifted Puerto Rican fighter to ever live Was Wilfred Benitez In his prime, Benitez was both one of the Greatest defensive fighters and counterpunchers Who ever lived From 1977 to 1982, he fought a who's who of fighters in the 140, 147, and 154-pound divisions, holding world titles in each division at a time when there weren't a proliferation of world titles in each division. By the way, from 1977 to 1982, there were only two world champions per division, not the 37 that we have today, right? It was just the WBA and the WBC. It's just plain criminal that despite his immense talent and ability that Benitez is only the 43rd best fighter of the last 45 years. And that's because of his proclivity to live a lifestyle that did not that could not be condoned for a world class athlete or fighter. Going into 1977, the 18-year-old Benitez was the reigning WBA and Ring Magazine Super Lightweight Champion. Having defeated Colombian legend Antonio Cervantes six months earlier to become the youngest world champion in boxing history at the age of 17, that will never be matched because in the United States, you're not allowed to turn pro in the majority of states Super, uh, that are uh, under the... Under the supervision of the ABC uh, rules of boxing That a fighter must be 18 years old to turn pro So to be world champion 17 in the United States is not happening 1977 was a tumultuous, tumultuous year for Benitez Benitez totally disregarded defending his title Despite having fought six times that year Resulting in the WBA stripping him of his 140 pound crown Benitez struggled in his first fight in 1977, fighting to a 10-round draw with slick boxer Harold Weston. Then, Benitez Benitez signed to fight the best fighter in the world at that time, Roberto Duran, in a non-title fight to take place November 18, 1977, at Madison Square Garden. My father was so excited because at the time, Benitez and Duran were his two favorite fighters actively fighting so that he bought tickets to see the fight. I was only nine and wouldn't have been able to attend the fight because New York State had a law restricting children under the age of 14 from attending fight cards. Unfortunately, this potential legendary matchup between a 26-year-old Prime Duran and a 19-year-old Benitez was canceled when three weeks before the fight, Duran pulled out with the flu. Benitez's performance against Duran's replacement was a disaster. The undefeated 21-year-old prospect, Bruce Curry, younger brother, I mean, older brother of Donald Curry, not younger brother, older brother of future welterweight legend and Hall of Famer, Donald Curry. Bruce Curry was Duran's replacement that night. Back then, WAWAM AM Radio in New York City would air the monthly Madison Square Garden Fight Cards. The announcer, John Condon, who was also the president of MSG Boxing at the time, Described Benitez's performance in the first three rounds as lethargic, he was then dropped three times combined in rounds four and five. Referee Arthur McCanty showed incredible restraint in not stopping the fight. When my father came home from the fight, he admitted that Curry was robbed. I, I, I do, I, I watching. Uh, first of all, like I said in the article, I heard the fight on the radio, and John, kudos to John Condon. He gave a very descriptive uh, call of the fight. I could visualize what was going on in the ring while listening to his radio broadcast, which a great radio announcer of sports should do. Uh, Bob Murphy was a master of that for years as the Mets radio announcer. And today, Howie Rose does the same thing whenever I hear an occasional Met game on the radio. Um, watching a tape of the fight years later, Benitez didn't win this fight. This was a highway robbery. Bruce Curry dominated this fight, dropped Benitez three times, and was robbed. A win that could have really catap- catapulted his career into getting a title shot back then. It, it Instead, he would fight Benitez in an immediate rematch 10 weeks later, and not even three months later, but Benitez won by a convincing 10-round decision, And now Benitez would move up to 147 pounds, where he would win three fights at 147, before securing a fight with the WBC welterweight champion, Carlos Palomino. The fight took place on January 14, 1979, in Benitez's hometown of San Juan, Puerto Rico. My father and I nervously watched this fight in our living room that Sunday afternoon. Pop felt that if Benitez fought his best, Palomino Palomino would have no shot. Benitez Benitez was a much quicker and skillful fighter than the hard-hitting champion Palomino was able to hurt Benitez in the fifth round with two great right crosses But the challenger did in his first fight But uh, Benitez did like in his first fight with Curry show incredible intestinal fortitude to survive against the power-punching champion. After Benitez recovered, he proceeded to put on a masterful display of boxing wizard- wizardry that had the sold-out Bithorn Stadium fans roaring with complete adulation of their hometown favorite. Benitez looked to have easily won a 15-round decision. He did win, even though Judge Zach Clayton inexplicably scored the fight for Palomino. At the age of 20, Benitez was now a two-time world champion and in line to defend against the burgeoning Sugar Ray Leonard. After successfully defending his title in a rematch against Weston, Benitez signed to defend against Leonard. The fight would take place on November 30th, 1979 at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. It would also air in primetime on ABC with the legendary Howard Cosell announcing. Howard Cosell. Loved Sugar Ray Leonard Oh! The ubiquitous The tantalizing Sugar Ray Leonard Sugar Ray This is his night to shine This is the night that the boxing world Will crown Sugar Ray As the successor to Muhammad Ali As the king of boxing My father and I couldn't stand uh, Leonard. While we acknowledged that he was a special fighter, we abhorred his arrogance and sense of entitlement. Leading up to the fight, my father heard a rumor that Benitez was dating Leonard's sister. Not only was the rumor true, they would eventually become engaged. Imagine the mixed emotions she felt that night where her man faced her brother in their most important fight of their respective careers up to that point. That night, much to the chagrin of Pop and I, Leonard put on one of the greatest performances I've ever seen by an elite boxer versus another. Leonard used his superior speed and punching power to land several combinations against the Puerto Rican defensive wizard. Benitez had no answers for the Sugar Man, and knowing he was way behind on the scorecards going into the 15th round, tried for a knockout but instead took such a ferocious beating that referee Carlos Padilla stopped the fight with only seconds left in the fight. That was the night my father was convinced Leonard was the real deal. Didn't keep, it didn't keep us from hating his pompous ass. But Sugar Ray proved that night that he was on his way to becoming become one of the all-time greats. And more on that, probably a year from now when I talk about Sugar Ray Leonard and his standing in the 45 greatest fighters of all time. After losing his title to Leonard, Benitez immediately moved up to 154 pounds, winning three straight fights before accepting a February 23rd, 1981 fight against the WBA 147 pound uh, champion Thomas Ernst and Madison Square Garden. Unfortunately, just like his November 1977 fight with Duran, the fight with Hearns was canceled due to circumstances beyond his control. The promoter of the fight, Harold Smith, had been accused of embezzling $21 million from Wells Fargo Bank, and in turn, the entire show was canceled. Instead, on May 23rd, 1981, Benitez faced 154-pound champion Maurice Hope, In an attempt to win his third world title by the insane age of 22 Benitez put on a virtuoso performance After his spectacular knockout culminating in his third world title Benitez sought out a fight that was denied to him four years earlier Versus Duran Benitez defended his 154 pound crown against Duran on January 30th 1982 at Caesars Palace my father placed a $250 wager with one of his co-workers on Benitez. And uh, that coworker was a fucking idiot. Pop felt Benitez was too slick for Duran to fight his usual aggressive style. Duran's aggressive style was tailor-made for Benitez's mastery and counter-punching. As we sat in my grandfather's house to watch this fight, Pop kept smacking me on the back of my head after every round. That was his way of saying that he was right. That night, Benitez was way like... Radar like in his avoidance of Durant's offense as he gracefully moved his body and head out of harm's way while landing beautiful counters with both hands left hook counters and right cross counters Benitez won a 15-round decision in what would be the greatest night of his career Ten months later, he traveled to New Orleans to make his next defense against Hearns a fight that had been canceled almost two years prior My father was Puerto Rican and very proud of his heritage. His idol was Roberto Clemente, the single greatest baseball player and athlete ever to hail from Puerto Rico. My father loved Benitez, both because of his wizardry inside the ring and because of his Puerto Rican heritage. And we're going to be honest, ladies and gentlemen, the vast majority of fight fans, favorite fighters are guys that share their ethnic heritage. It's been like that. Since the beginning of boxing and will never change. And I understand it. Um, But my father also loved Hearns. And Hearns had an offensive weaponry, in his opinion, only rivaled by the great Sugar Ray Robinson. My father rooted for Benitez. But he knew deep down inside that despite Benitez's gifts, Hearns' jab and length were insurmountable to overcome. I remember that night vividly because it was my father's favorite fighter at the time, Wilfred Benitez. Hearns was the second favorite fighter versus my favorite fighter at that time, Thomas Hearns. We both knew that Benitez at 5'10 could not compete with the 6'2 Hearns' jab, right cross, and Benitez was not an aggressive fighter like Shigori Leonard was where he could attack Hearns and make it a firefight. He was going to try to outbox Hearns, and as we saw in Hearns' entire career, no one outboxed the, uh, the hitman from Detroit, Michigan. My father was correct. Hearns kept Benitez at bay throughout the entire 15 rounds with his jab and length. Although Hearns severely hurt his signature right cross hand in the eighth round, Benitez had no answer for Hearns' machine gun left jab and was soundly defeated by 15-round decision. That December 1982 evening, Hearns once again proved that there wasn't a man alive who could outbox him. Benitez did not have the aggressive style to try and outslug him, similar to what Leonard did versus the hitman. Although only 24 at the time of his defeat of to Hearns, Benitez's skills quickly declined due to personal bad habits. His relationship with Leonard's sister ended because of Wilfred's proclivity for women, cocaine, and alcohol. On July 16th, 1983, Benitez fought 160-pound top challenger Mustafa Hamshow, the winner to get a shot at the undisputed middleweight champion of the world, marvelous Marvin Hagler. A win over Hamshow would all but guarantee a chance for Benitez to become the first four-division world champion ever. My father and I sat in shock At, my father and I sat in shock as we watched Benitez lay up against the ropes for the entire 12 rounds, doing absolutely nothing while the Syrian brawler ham show bombarded him with body and head shots. Benitez was completely listless in losing that day. We were in denial about just how far Benitez had regressed. We thought it was just a minor blip in his career. In reality, it was the beginning of the end. Exactly a year later, Davey Moore would knock out Benitez in the second round, a fight that also saw Benitez break his ankle when he was knocked down. He should have retired right then and there. But his drug abuse had gotten to the point where he needed to continue fighting in order to support his habit. Benitez continued to fight until finally retiring in 1990 at the age of 32 when he was diagnosed with a degenerative brain condition. Today, at 63 years old, It is a miracle that Benitez is still alive. Due to the punishment he accumulated both in the ring and from his abuse of narcotics. That being said, his six-year run from 1977 to 1982 saw him as one of the greatest ring technicians who ever lived. That six-year period alone is enough to be the 43rd greatest fighter of the last 45 years. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, we will have a special... Special guest And that is the head Of the Fight Game Media website Patreon and podcast uh, feeds Garrett and I Will discuss at length The results Of the And give a uh, complete recap Of the Oscar Valdez Versus Shakur Stevenson Junior lightweight unification fight Being held next Saturday night And a part two of the podcast Will see me talking about the incredible punching power and rapid-like rise of Iron Mike Tyson. Ladies and gentlemen, talk to you great people next week.